0: This is
1: <laughs> 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 On February 26, 2015, consensus reality skipped a beat. Around the globe, millions of people were suddenly forced to reckon with undeniable evidence that the world they perceive that they know to be true, is a mere illusion, and that the worlds inhabited by their closest friends and family are in fact very different places indeed. This paradigm-shattering event began a week earlier in Collinsay, Scotland, as Grace and Keir Johnston prepared for their wedding. The bride's mother took a photo of the dress she planned on wearing and sent it to her daughter for approval. But then something strange happened the mother and daughter couldn't agree on the color of the dress in the photograph. The infamous dress went viral soon after, instigating a worldwide perceptual civil war. Was it gold and white? Or blue and black? Two friends sitting next to each other, staring at the same image, couldn't come to an agreement. This magic moment illustrates an inconvenient truth we gloss over every day. The world I see is not the same as the one you see. These two visions are usually close enough that we can get along just fine, but when misunderstandings arise, when a couple argues, or a nation prepares to elect its next leader, suddenly we learn that not everyone views reality as we do. This is the inherent magic of politics. Two sides selling competing visions of the world. Do you see hope and opportunity, or fear and menace? Economic freedom or wage slavery? Is the dress blue or red? As a wizard who grants wishes, I often get asked to do something about the political situation. But what these folks fail to grasp is magic is already at play in the halls of power. The war fought over voters' hearts and minds is dark wizardry at a grand scale, and to fight with any real power we need to understand magic as more than candles and lucky charms, but as the game of strategy, organization, and myth-making, it truly is. Our guest today, Sarah Lyons, is a witch, a writer, and an activist. She is on the organizing committee for the Eco-Socialist Working Group with the New York Democratic Socialists of America, and has written about magic and witchcraft for Vice, Teen Vogue, Dazed, and other outlets. Her new book, Revolutionary Witchcraft, A Guide to Magical Activism, is an incredible, accessible, action-oriented handbook for those looking to bring sorcery into the struggle. It's exactly the sort of thinking we need now as social media splinters our shared reality and truth becomes just another buzzword. So get ready to rise up as we learn how to start a revolution. Greetings, Sarah. Hey, Devin. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank
0: you. Thank you for having me.
1: What's our magic word going to be?
0: Our magic word? Ooh. Um. Hmm. You've got a poster of San Francisco behind you, so can San Francisco be?
1: Sure it can. Oh, all right. So one, two, three. San, San Francisco. Francisco. Ooh, all I right. I like that. San Francisco's good. It's a nice... It used to be a nice, (laughs) lefty city.
0: It's still nice. It's just you can't stay in the nice, you know. You can't live in the nice anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can
1: only shuffle through it.
0: But you know, it's it seems uh, likely that it will either sink into the ocean or burn down. So we should still enjoy it while we've got it.
1: (laughs) I think so. I think that's worth that's worth savoring. Yeah, San Francisco treat that is San Francisco itself.
0: Exactly. Yeah, the impermanence of San Francisco. Something to be treasured, perhaps. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, it's history as being a place of both uh, it was an occult epicenter mm-hmm. and a political like it's it's the only place that I ever been where it was legal to just be naked on the street.
0: I know. Yeah, I've um, I've kind of always wanted to go to the, the Folsom Street Fair just because I feel like it's like that type of person and that culture in San Francisco is is so... Uh, endangered right now and I'm like I want to go and help all the weirdos right now I want to like keep that alive and the thing in the city you know
1: yeah I did, uh, I did some nude modeling when I was another person uh, in San Francisco for this like gay public nudity website mm-hmm. and then I became friends with the people who ran it and so I was following them on Facebook as somebody became the city council member for the Castro who was very anti-public nudity and they were going to these protests and they were up in arms and I'm like I'm with you like I'm I'm very much like with you but also it's so funny this tone of like this is unbelievable and I'm like what's unbelievable is that you could be naked in a city that's nowhere like that's like not acceptable anywhere else. You cannot you go spoiled. to Starbucks naked at Bo- in Boston. Like, no, not gonna happen.
0: No, to- utterly spoiled. Um, but I, I love it. Um, and they're
1: like, it- and we save the public sex for festivals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we only do it on high holy holidays, mm-hmm. don't you know?
1: Holy days, indeed.
0: Um, there's a um, there's a person running for um, I think district attorney in San Francisco right now, whose mother was literally like arrested as uh, a member of the Weather Underground when he was a kid. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I should say that on a podcast. Hello, FBI. You can say whatever you want. You're tuning in now. (laughs) If the
1: FBI is listening, I hope you said the magic word. (laughs) Because otherwise you're not fully getting the ritual benefit. Yes. Yeah. Take that surveillance culture.
0: (laughs) All right. right.
1: Let's talk the left-hand path.
0: Let's talk left-hand path.
1: Politics, witchcraft, where should we start?
0: Ooh, I mean, I think that porque no I, los dos, porque no los dos. That's the that's the whole mood right now. I I kind of think politics is a little little more left handy than witchcraft is. <laughs> yeah, personally. Well, yeah, I um I don't know. I think. Well, okay, let's di- let's yeah, let's dive in. I think um, a lot of people imagine, and I talk about this in the book, but I think a lot of people imagine politics is like uh government and Mm -hmm. it's the it's the people in suits going into a room and making our lives worse and like that's politics it's civics yeah like people confuse like politics and civics all the time and like i i myself like in colloquial speech will, will do that too right but um i think one of the really insidious ways that like we are disempowered in our politics is the very notion that like politics is all about power and it's all about how that power is used against us, how we have power, like where power is stored in society, in culture, in everyday life, and what we attribute power to. Mm-hmm. And that's also magic. So that's kind of the, the point I was trying to get across in the very early part of the book. Is like You do
1: a great job because you, you're like, there's energy, which is, you know, that's a fine term, mm-hmm. but let's call it power because that's really going to open up, I think, a lot more understanding.
0: Yeah, it breaks down the barrier, I think, to do that between magic and politics, because as soon as you say like we're talking about power and just even just do a quick word replacement with energy Mm -hmm. and power, you see immediately how tied the two things are together. Um, And I think, you know, it's, it's much easier for people to kind of make the leap to like, oh, okay, when I'm doing magic, I'm engaging with power when I'm doing politics, I'm engaging with power. What if I didn't blur? What if I blurred the line a little bit more between those two things?
1: Yeah. It's fast. Faci- it's, it, it's a fascinating way to just make th- that magic itself of just substitute a word. Mm-hmm. And I think if we if we wanted to say, well, let's just call it vibes. It's hard to say vibes and <laughs> bring it into politics. But once you say power, then it becomes clear. And you can think about like, oh, even in a one on one social situation, the person who has the power is going to be the one who's steering us towards the reality that they desire mm. and that is the nature of the power dynamic and i think magic is often about steering towards the reality that you're you're hoping to manifest
0: yeah yeah i totally agree and it's also you know people say you know the personal is political and like the the you know the mundane is political and i think that that's true but it's true because of power dynamics and because of how power dynamics are constructed in our society and like like you said magic is this kind of wonderful practice where we don't just kind of accept that power dynamics are the way that they are and will forever be that way we can play around with archetypes and we can engage in those archetypes in a practical way and like actually use them and do something about it
1: well i think wizardry in particular i always think is like it's it's going meta and it's saying wait we're playing this game why are the rules of this game this way
0: Mm, yes. You know, yes. instead of
1: just this, accepting that uh, that's the game, you're like, this game's kind of poorly constructed because you keep getting all of the pieces and I don't have any. And that's, I don't like this game. Like, who wrote these rules? Oh, you did. Okay, suddenly this is making sense here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that's, I, I love the way you said that too. Cause I, um, I think that's something that has been, um, something that has frustrated me for a long time. And I I think a lot of people are gradually becoming more and more frustrated with this, the more politically aware we all become, but just how, especially among electeds and like, I'm thinking right now specifically of the democratic party, but I think it's, I think it's wider than that, but you know uh, just how small the imaginations are and just how small the idea of like, well, we're just going to, you know, do this nice little protest and that's the farthest thing we can do. That's the craziest thing we can do is like maybe hold up a sign at a rally, right? And like not that that's a bad thing, but it's like uh there was an action here the other day in um in New York City um and it was basically around the the recent fare hikes that the MTA is trying to do mm-hmm. and the you know increased policing on the subway and a bunch of people got together and just hopped the turnstiles. And I thought yeah. that was like such a magical action because I was like they're making the invisible visible with that action. They're saying, why do we have to pay this? Like, like just challenging the reality of it and creating a new reality through their actions. And I was like, this is a fucking group ritual. This is a public ritual we're watching right now.
1: There's a very magical thing that I see all the time in New York on the subway, which is people are leaving and there's the turnstiles and then there's also the the doors that mm. you can push. And the stream of people is all going through the turnstiles and then one person goes, nah, fuck it, and goes through the door. Yes. And then while that door is still open... A stream of people will divert and go through that door until it closes, and then that happens again until somebody else breaks that spell and is like, I can just go through this door.
0: Yes, that's such a good point. Oh my God, yes. And it's and it really is, It is it, it, when you think of it that way, that is such a perfect magical metaphor because it's the door opening.
1: It's the door opening.
0: Ooh, I love that.
1: So let's talk about some other door openings because I love what you said in the book about initiation. Mm-hmm. So how did you get initiated into magic or Politics and let's go through both of those.
0: Ooh, okay. Well, magic. I um I was a little baby Wiccan when I was like 14 years old, and so I kind of did the whole like self initiation thing. I think mm-hmm. like when I was
1: you watched kid. the craft backwards.
0: I watched the craft backwards while chanting like the only Aleister Crowley that I could find online. Um, <laughs> they um, while singing Stevie Nicks. Uh, mm-hmm. That was how I self initiated. Um, But I, no, I, I, so I did do that and I, and I do, you know, still maintain like 14 is like the age that I kind of dedicated myself to magic and was like, okay, I'm going to like study this and I'm going to do this. But, um, when I look back now, I was dealing with a ton of anxiety when I was a kid, like panic attacks all happening all the time. Like I had this really crazy uh, fear and I don't really know exactly where in my childhood this came from or like what this was, but I had this crazy fear that if I was left alone in a room that everybody in the world had disappeared and it was like the last person on earth
1: holy shit yeah as you started talking i knew that was the direction you were gonna go because i had that fear too are
0: you fucking serious absolutely i've never met anyone who had this Whenever like
1: my family like like it wasn't just being in a room it was like when my family would be gone Mm. and i would look out onto the street and i couldn't see yes anyone and i think eventually i uh Mm. I don't know which came first, but I remember that there was a young adult book called *The Eyes of Kid Midas*, where Ooh. this kid gets these magic sunglasses, and at one point he like makes a wish that everyone would go away, and then they break, and he's like stuck in that world. Oh, and I was terrified of like <laughs> like how long would I survive in this empty world? So
0: oh my god, wow, wow. oh my god, we have the same shared trauma, Devin. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I remember it was one of those things that really, uh, it really affected me a lot when I was a kid and it was, it was tough because you're literally like fighting with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like a, an external abuse. It was yeah. like, wow, my brain is abusing me right now. It it really was awful. But I remember having to kind of do like, I had to pr- kind of personify it as a demon and like slay it and, uh, you know, through like meditation and that kind of stuff. And so, looking back now i kind of call that a bit of like my initiation because yeah. it really forced me to think magically about my own experience and it and it was the trial by fire that i think a lot of You know, we see in a lot of traditional sort of forms of magic that people go through or are subjected to. How old were you when you confronted this thing? It would have been, I think, between the ages of like 10 and 14 that I had. And
1: did you do something specific? Was there like a a moment where you named the demon and went after it?
0: Yeah, I had to like name it and call it. And whenever it would, whenever I would start feeling like the panic rise in me, I would have like a thing that i would say to it and i don't want to say it because I, yeah, I don't want to yeah. like reveal too much but like i'd have this like thing that i would repeat and say while like i'm envisioning this like creature. i'm not
1: afraid of you go away
0: go, go. away go away, go away. <laughs> um, yeah uh, i was
1: gonna ask the name and i was like no i i, I don't think we, we want shall that not to evoke come
0: it <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so i kind of so that's the two-parter of my my magical initiation um was just going through that as a kid and my initiation into politics was I, I had that even younger my mom was always a very politically engaged person um uh he just passed away but i remember elijah cummings uh, sitting at my d- dining room table as a kid because mm-hmm. on his first run for congress because my mom was helping him you know have events and stuff like that in the, the county and was uh, a big volunteer and, and worker on his campaigns, so I actually met him a couple times, and I was really young, and so I remember like it's so weird looking back. Like I, I saw like Hillary Clinton when I was like a tiny kid too, wow. like speaking, and it was like all these weird uh, vignettes of like political life and you know awareness from a very young age, which on the one hand is good because I feel like it's like I'm kind of seeing a lot of people just now learn about politics and just now learn about the last few decades of American politics specifically and be like wow like the Iraq war was really shitty and I'm like I know I didn't hear I didn't hear the end of it every single day cuz of my parents. Yeah. Uh, but yeah my my uh my mom was a politician for 8 years and uh ran for state senate a couple times and so I just kind of grew up in it. I you all merely inherited darkness. I was born in it.
1: Well, that's great to have those traditional roots because I know that's yeah. something that um, in radicalism we have a problem with sometimes mm-hmm. is that we're so quick to be like, tear down the old guard. It's right. like, no, 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 the old guard knows all the passwords to the website. Like
0: <laughs> you, We need those. <laughs> we,
1: we, we need those to run the organization. Yeah. Don't run them out yet.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, it was um, It was kind of interesting growing up because I mean, now, now I'm very critical of like, uh, you know, the US government and a, a lot of, I, you know, I, I still think that people should... Our U.S. government? Our one? No. <laughs> what? But, you know, I'm very... I'm critical of, you know, the, the United States as an entity. I'm critical of... It's a monster. It's a big fucking monster, man. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, do, do you ever just sit around and, like, consider that, like, the land that we're on right now has known genocide? Yeah. It's just a thing that I that you I think about a lot. And it's pretty crazy that that's just like a reality that we all have to exist with and live with and try to rectify in some way. I don't know how.
1: I get really hung up on the weird things that we we're taught as kids that instead of like the true history, which I get mm-hmm. that you, you know, different things for different ages. But like, why do we learn that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree and couldn't tell a lie when that yeah. story is itself a lie? Like... <laughs> like there's this weird mythology that we get indoctrinated with that has no connection to the reality of um, what the founding and anything after (laughs) what was
0: yeah I mean the founding fathers are like speaking about magic and politics, like I really think the founding fathers are, you know, they are our collective ancestors in a way, mm-hmm. but they're also gods. Like we literally deify them oh, yeah. and mythologize them to this. We've insane carved degree. their
1: faces onto a fucking <laughs> mountain.
0: Yeah. A sacred mountain. Yeah. Like we literally defaced the sacred mountain. It's like such a, that was a ritual, you know, that was a, evil ritual that was done
1: well that's again you know this this magic of power in politics Mm. it's like that's how it works you bulldoze your enemy's thing and then you build your thing right on it as a big fuck you
0: yeah exactly exactly um but yeah i always i always grew up with politics and i always grew up with like um just a knowledge of like the you know of electoral politics specifically and i don't think it really was until um i moved to new york and was away from uh, you know, family and home for a while that I really started to develop my own political beliefs and my Mm -hmm. own understanding, um, that came from stuff that I was learning, but also just experience and actually living and and forming your own ideas. Imagine that. Um, and I think that I'm still learning. I'd like, I hope so. I'd like to not just have my political beliefs, like stay stagnant. Um, but yeah, that's, that was kind of the broad initiation there. Um, and I think that when it comes to like political awareness, I feel like I get the initiation doesn't end like, and I, I talk about this in the book, but you know, you have several moments that you go through where you're kind of constantly, uh, reminded or the, the world that you are existing in is revealed to be bigger than you knew it before. Um, in the book I talk about my experiences at Standing Rock, but I've also had, you know, like the. Yeah, the first time that I saw an armored vehicle like on U.S. soil and like the first time that I saw someone get pepper sprayed, the first time I saw um, someone getting deported. Like mm-hmm. those are the things that really, I think, I, I there are times where I talk to people and I'm like, oh, you haven't seen the stuff that I've seen. And if yeah. you if you did, maybe you wouldn't think that things are just okay the way that you seem to think they are, you know?
1: How did you get involved uh, with Standing Rock?
0: Um, So I had been following it really closely. I just had always, or I've always been... Uh, very interested and invested in and trying to do the most I can um, with indigenous rights. And I was following that really closely when it started because um, back in August of 2016, when it all kind of began, I could just tell how huge it was going to be and mm-hmm. how big of a deal this was. And so I had a fundraiser here in New York city and was able to raise some money. And uh, you know, I thought that like, okay, good. I, I did my good thing. But then a few months later, I was fired from a terrible job that I had. It was like a week after the election. And so it was like, wow, Donald Trump is president and I don't have a job. Yep. And uh, an hour. Dystopia now. That's great. Yeah, it was it was a terrible it was it was a bad place. But I um, an hour after I was fired, I got a call from a friend that was saying, you know, I have a friend of mine who's this indigenous activist from high school she and a couple of people are going out to Standing Rock like, do you want to go? And I was like, you know what? Yes. Like, Get in the van. Yes. And literally the next day I got in a van and drove out to North Dakota. That's, <laughs> it was fucking insane. That's magical. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was a crazy road trip. I think if you live in the United States, you need to drive across the country at least once. Like I really I that alone, like I mean, the experience at Standing Rock itself was crazy, but like. Just even seeing the country and mm-hmm. seeing many parts of the country I never thought I was going to see in that way was also incredible. So I, I the whole the whole trip was magical. I was only there for a couple of days, so I, I wasn't even there for like, you know, this. Uh, I wasn't camping out there for months like some people were. But the couple of days that I spent there were some of the most like life changing days of my entire life.
1: Well, it's weird to see the illusion come off for a second we were like wait there's people in tents here who want access to water and you're rolling out tanks and snipers as you say like so well in the book describing that scene
0: yeah yeah it was um i remember the first day we were there so we were working at this um at this place winona's kitchen there were several kitchens at standing rock one of them was run run by this woman uh winona casto and we were staying and with her And basically, in exchange for helping out in the kitchens and doing like work around there and bringing some supplies, we uh, had a tent to stay in and, um, or a teepee to stay in, I should say. But they, um, but one night, the first night we get there, we're kind of wandering around the camp trying to like get our bearings. And we go up to the edge of the Cannonball River. And there's two women um, just who have a tent right on the edge of the river. And beyond it, you can see the. Island that is part of the ancestral burial grounds that they were trying to protect and literally on top of it they had you know snipers and giant lights just looking down into the camp and they were telling us this and they were like you know like yeah there's you know we see them all the time these guys with guns all this stuff and then they were like come here and have cocoa. Yeah, like come have hot cocoa with us. And I was like, what? And they were like, you can't let them show. You can't be afraid of them. Yeah. Like you can't let them win. Like we have to be as like joyous as we can be in this moment. Like if they're going to sho- show like show shove guns in our face, we're going to sit and drink hot cocoa.
1: I mean, it's like it's like you can't let the terrorists win. Like, yeah. That's that same idea. but yeah. It's like that's what it is it's terrorism like Mm
0: -hmm. yeah it is yeah why else
1: would you have a sniper there it's
0: (laughs) yeah it's insane um yeah it was it was just settle. so sorry it was just settler colonialism and settler terror and uh you know that was i think the other thing it was just seeing the dichotomy of like okay if the world that exists right now like the world that i exist in, in my everyday life has to use such violence to maintain itself, mm-hmm. then that means at a certain point that like it is a thoroughly violent system. Yeah. And I'm just seeing the cracks in it right now. Like I'm just seeing that power made manifest right now and the underlying violence of it made real. But this is what is required to maintain normalcy in my everyday life. And the normalcy that I experience every day is a result of this violence. Yet on the other hand, like within the camp, people were so loving it was like you could walk in there without a stitch on your back without a penny to your name and you were going to be taken care of like people wanted to help you when people saw that we were new to camp they came and gave us a tour they were taught like everyone was like really loving and I've never experienced that since but like I know that a better world is possible because I got to taste it there like I got to see what like a a peak at what an anti-capitalist society could look like and like what a just society could look like. And that I think is like the memory that keeps me fighting sometimes, you know?
1: And it's so interesting that it it grew up in the shadow of the, Mm. of the monstrosity. Yeah. Like it's right there and the, the the pressure and the, the the distinction between the two is so clear in that moment. Mm.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just the, you know, um, the poverty, on the reservation itself i mean it's one of the poorest places in the entire country um you driving through the reservation to get to the actual camp you just saw like dilapidated homes that people were still living in you just saw like immense poverty but then once you got there it was such joy and such uh pride Mm -hmm. and you could just tell that for a lot of people there it was like we don't get the excuse or the opportunity to be proud of who we are and like our culture and our civilization and our language and all of these, you know, beautiful things. And I think that was something that was so also so clear to me like as a white person sort of being there and trying to help was like, wow, like this is for so many people there. And like people were, there was one place that we went to, there was sort of saying this to me. They were like, like, this is our chance to be ourselves and like actually create Mm -hmm. the world that we want. And it was a really, I will treasure it forever. And it would, I think it's a like I said it's a, it's a moment that keeps me fighting yeah yeah <laughs> I love talking about standing Rock it's it was a it was a really incredible time and I think I mean as I'm saying this right now I mean I don't wanna I don't want to just talk as like this white girl who went out to the west and was like I had a great time I was transformed because I also you know, as we speak right now, the Dakota access pipeline has already sprung a leak. Yeah, and, of course. You know, the, the land or part of the land that we were all defending and that indigenous people were defending is already being destroyed. So I, yeah, I spoiler alert, not spoiler. a happy ending. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, I get to say that it was a transformational experience than me and then returned to that same normalcy that exists through violence. So I think that like the best thing that I can do and the, the thing that I have chosen is like, how i can most justly uh you know uphold that memory and like still support that cause which is an ongoing cause is just to be a witness to it mm-hmm. and to and to keep telling that story because i think that it's important that we don't forget it and that we remember the lessons of standing rock because they're not going away and they're only going to become more relevant i think as we go forward
1: well in viewing this whole experience through the magical lens it's like you you did the 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 traditional thing of like going to have the vision Mm -hmm. you went on the journey you dealt with you were in the shadow of the of the dragon Mm -hmm. the monster the great beast that's the oppressor that's the bad thing Mm -hmm. and then in that you got that vision of the brighter world and even if it's not sustainable even if you can't bring it fully back all in one piece it still is that little bit of fire that you brought back that keeps things going and keeps you moving in that direction
0: yeah absolutely absolutely um Yeah, it was, it was truly incredible. And, um, I remember, I remember there was this one day that there was, there was always daily um, prayers in front of one of the sacred fires in the camp. And I remember one day waking up and going to the ceremony and just remember thinking like, this could be the first day we were out in this like frozen North Dakota Mm -hmm. plain, You know, the, the sun is just about to begin rising. You know, I'm hearing, you know, uh, Lakota Sioux language being spoken. That's the same place that's been spoken for so long. It's, um, you know, we're performing this ritual that's like I don't know how many centuries old, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it was. I was just I remember thinking like this could be the first day, yeah. and I don't know. I I hope that maybe it is the first day of a new world that we're able to create.
1: Do you yeah. feel like we're, we're? Do you feel optimistic about things? Do you feel like there's? The potential to to create something new in this moment
0: depends how much I've been drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: Do you get more optimistic or pessimistic when you drink?
0: Um, I get more pessimistic usually because yeah. I I feel like then the sads come and I'll just be like, I don't know. I feel like it's a joke at this point. But if you get me too drunk, I'm either gonna like rant about Jeffrey Epstein or I'm gonna rant about climate change and just be like, yeah. we're not doing enough, God damn it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. Um, that's a whole nother like tangent to go down, but I. The reason I do so much activism in uh the climate world and in, mm-hmm. um you know, climate justice and environmental stuff is, one, from a magical standpoint, like, I don't think I can call myself a witch and, like, you know, use the earth in my magic yeah. and work with the earth in my magic and, like, not give back. But on the other hand, too, I think, um you know, I think climate change is happening because it's the culmination of all of the other problems. Yeah. Like it's the big problem because it is you know it is the way we treat the environment but it's capitalism it's colonialism it's racism it's sexism it's all of this it's stuff.
1: all of the junk we've shoved into the closet mm-hmm. and that closet is now like pulsing and smoking yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so it's, it's the
1: James Wood smog monster from Fern Gully it like. really
0: is <laughs> yeah so I, I mean so that's where I I am hopeful in that I think correctly addressing climate change and correctly addressing ecological collapse is the, if we correctly address it, we can transform our entire society because we have to.
1: And it's non-schismatic because, like, I think there's so many other issues that become about identity and about this particular group and that particular group. Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, like, you know, identity politics and all these other things get really complicated. Mm-hmm. And climate change is sort of able to just bang the gavel at the table and say, shut the fuck up. We're yeah. all going to die.
0: Well, you would. Yeah. And that's the thing that's so far. Uh, it, it is frustrating sometimes, like, uh. When you you know as an organizer I I love my comrades and I love like the people that I work with and sometimes like you'll be in a I don't know I'll be reading an article or like I I'll be at a meeting sometimes and I this is not me shit talking this is I think speaking to that frustration Mm -hmm. that there's um. Uh, you know, there's literally drama everywhere you go, and you'd think that there wouldn't be drama in like the climate change like world yep. climate change activism world, but like there is, of course there is. And I always go back. there's that moment in um how to survive a plague. Uh, the, the documentary about uh, the up. AIDS act mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. the AIDS crisis in the 80s. and there's that scene towards the end where everyone's like beginning to fight and the whole you can tell that there's this bickering building and building in the room. and Larry Kramer just like slams his hand down and says, a plague we're dying of a plague and you fools act like this. And that's, I just, that image comes back to my head so often. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, so yeah, I think, I think that I am hopeful in that correctly addressing all of these issues, uh, fixes our society and we are able to move past it. And we are able to address the, the wrongs of racism and colonialism and all this stuff. But if we don't do it right, we're just going to have like, if we don't do it right, the fear that I come back to, and the idea that haunts me, is that we're living in the best part of the century. Oh yeah, and that, like, you want to talk about thoughts that keep you up at night? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, one of one of my friends is a poet. Has a piece that I, I I can't quote it exactly, but it's something along the lines of like, let us create our new problems. Mm-hmm. Like you want to like you know the right wants to poke all of these holes in the plans that we have. Okay. They're probably going to bring their problems of their own, but let's have some new problems. Cause we've been dealing with your problems for a fucking long time. And yeah. we're sick of it. Like I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Like let's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be utopian, but like <laughs> let us make mistakes and see what's going on.
0: We're going to have to design a better Google calendar for all of the poly like relationships that are going to form the new ut- utopia. Like we're going to have to find We're going to get- we're gonna have to do something with all the free ice cream we're all getting. Exactly. But like, I'm prepared to deal with those problems. <laughs> I'm so I'm
1: so worried that like like whatever the 2020 election is going to happen is that all of the the drivers of the economy like if they don't get the system where it's just like no regulations and crazy tax breaks for you that they're going to be like well we're going to take our ball and go home mm. and tank the economy and then be like ha ha <laughs> like you know yeah. see
0: that's where you get it that's what you get for trying to push socialism.
1: Yeah, like, like, whoever, it's always that weird hangover, like, you know, you have someone create all these problems and then the next person comes into office and it's like, (laughs) then those things are, like, becoming real and it's like, ah, now it's their fault.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I worry about that a lot. Um, But I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep in mind that, like, whatever the next president is, like, whoever the next president is, whatever happens in 2020, Going back to how we were talking earlier, I mean, yes, the president has an immense amount of power, but like we are the ones that truly have the power. And I think that that is, you know, I think it, we can open up a whole new can of worms and a whole new debate about like voting and electoralism. I do think that people should vote if you are able to, um, just because it's like a form of harm reduction as as I see it. Yeah. But um, if you don't, I think that that's also, you know, a personal choice. But I, um, yeah, like I think that the best thing that we can really be engaging with with people and instilling in people's you know minds is that their power comes from us. Yes, and we can take that away and we can redirect that power. So, you know, even if we get a president in there that we all like and is do, trying to do good stuff. It's only going to happen if people push that to happen,
1: and it will only be effective if people push that to happen. Exactly, like you, you need to have everyone. Otherwise, the the interest buy things out, and then you still have that gridlock that can't get anything done. Yeah, and I think I think the one thing that's that's really hard facing us right now is that it's easier to tear stuff down than it is to build stuff up. Mm. It takes well, I, a lot more coordination to build something new and make it work.
0: Yeah, and it's um, I mean, I think that there's this there's this idea of like. I think we can do both like I think we can we need to tear down some stuff but you can tear stuff down by building right Mm -hmm. like you can tear stuff down by building networks of support and like uh, you know mutual aid within like your own community and Mm -hmm. within your own friend group so that when all of this comes crashing down around us we are able to survive and build out of the rubble right and just or at least just create, you know, an alternative to, so that we can, you know, reach a critical mass of people that's just say, like, no, thank you. Like, we have another option, you know?
1: Yeah, I think that alternative is, is, is a great way of thinking about things. Of mm. Like, how do you build something that makes the the problematic thing irrelevant?
0: Mm. Totally. Um, I'm trying to think about what I said in the book about this, but I think I... I talk a lot in like talking about initiation and talking about. um, I actually have a question for you because I talk in the book, I talk about, um, you know, initiation and specifically I talk about it around the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. And I personally, I could sense a huge shift post Trump getting elected in talking about magic with people. Mm -hmm. Like, before 2016, I feel like if I told anybody that I was a witch, I would have to, like, couch it in all of this history and all of this, like, uh, you know...
1: You have to explain, explain it. Explain it. I have mm-hmm. to explain
0: it and, like, make it sound like an adult thing. I'm into
1: magic. Mm-hmm. No, not magic card tricks. <laughs> and no, not Harry Potter, but real magic.
0: <laughs> it's a little different. Let me take you back to 1690. Some people
1: spell it with a K. Let's yeah. get into it. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. So I... Um, so we always try to like couch it and make it sound smart and like I am a rational, smart person doing yeah. all the smart stuff. And I feel like post 2016, you kind of talk to people and be like, well, reality is like malleable yeah. and like belief shapes it. And people yeah. kind of go, oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Alternative yeah. facts.
0: Yeah. Alternative facts. Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't know how if you, if you found something similar, but I think that there's been a real shift recently.
1: So it's really hard for me to say because I only have one experience. Mm-hmm. I I I don't get to jump into another experience and then compare the two of them. Mm -hmm. And I did a ritual to become a wizard. Mm -hmm. And part of that, I knew if I manifested a a reality in which I was a wizard, that reality would have to meet me part way. Mm. I can't successfully be a wizard if everyone's like, what's a wizard. So I need a world that supports that. So I Mm. knew I was going in that direction. And then in 2016, I did a spell through Kickstarter to fund my book. Mm. And I I phrased it as, I'm going to raise $420. This is a magical spell. If I hit the the $420 target, we move from world A, which is the world where I don't hit it and I fail and I'm not a wizard, into world B, which is the slightly better world where I become a wizard. This is your fault. And I was like, (gasps) it's my fault. I was like, this is a great idea. This is going to be awesome. And successfully fund my Kickstarter become the wizard it's going great and then Trump gets elected president and the same day that we got the election results like the you know the morning after the election I learned uh I, I called to check in with my mom and see how they were doing with that and also see how that doctor's visit that I knew she had scheduled and found out my mom had cancer so I was definitely like wow be careful when you're switching realities in the fast lane. Damn, uh,
0: but that sucks.
1: I, I definitely the morning of the election was like, did I fuck up? Did I, mm. did I, did I steer? Is there a reality that I just missed the turn for where Hillary Clinton's president? It's a lot better, mm-hmm. and I had to really talk myself down from that. Where I'm like, one, thinking that you as an individual can control all of reality is a bad bad look Mm -hmm. don't don't get into that too far and two, trust the process and I think honestly that while the Trump presidency has certainly been a disaster in many many ways I think the Clinton presidency could have been really bad because I think the left would not have been very excited to defend her and so we would have had a situation where she was sort of paralyzed and couldn't do that much and
0: we probably also would be like actively at war with Iran right now. Like, yeah, <laughs>
1: like there would be a lot of issues. Yeah, and so I think I'm optimistic that when people look back, we can hopefully create a world where like we sort of got got the bad vibes out.
0: Yeah i I think that there's a like Trump is us confronting our shadow, right? Like, oh yeah, it, it is the American shadow, and like he is I. I said this after
1: excremental <laughs> shit monster it yeah.
0: is. Yeah. I, I, you know, he like, um, the I clogged
1: s- toilet of America's unconscious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true though. And I, I remember, um, I remember right after the election, I was like, magic is the only thing that makes any of this make sense. Yeah. Like, um, you know, Trump literally used chaos magic oh, to yeah. become resonant. Yeah. Um, what's That's his, how it happened. What's his name? <laughs>
1: Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy? Yes. Is a douchebag. Is totally a douchebag. But his articles early on in the Trump thing, he called Trump a wizard. And he mm-hmm. was like, he's using Ericksonian hypnosis. He's using this techniques. He's definitely changing the topic. and you know with all of these things it's 50% right 50% bullshit the people that are like Trump's playing four-dimensional chess like Mm -hmm. no he's fucking not like come on yeah but it's still a power current that he tapped into and I think we need to tap into something else equally compelling to fight back I think that's the mistake that we keep making like you were saying like the lack of imagination when the vision is like here, I showed up and here's all my math and the person next to you didn't do the reading. Like, you've got to figure out how to have a compelling message.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, um and it's also it's interesting if you look at Trump's history and if you look at his family, his parents were married by um, the guy. I, he, I believe he wrote the book How to make friends and influence people or oh, Dale Carnegie. No, 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 po- power of positive thinking.
1: Ah. Power of positive Vincent thinking. Yes. yes. He
0: literally married Donald Trump's parents. Like he was the yeah. one who officiated their wedding and he was like a family friend and advisor for many years. And it's like yeah, like he, that's magic.
1: Oh, I mean I mean yeah, like I like you want to talk about unwavering focus and belief on a goal. Like, Mm -hmm. holy shit. Like if I tell everyone I'm a billionaire of times, they're going to believe it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, magic to me is the only thing that really makes sense out of any of the things that are happening right now. And I think there's just been this weird idea that like, you know, somewhere in the last couple of decades that I think, especially like Democrats and like a lot of people on the left in general have gotten is like, uh, you know, people are compelled by uh, graphs and charts, and <laughs> we'll just show them on the chart how their lives will get better if we institute this new deregulated tax plan to means Snus. test Medicaid. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's not at all compelling. It yeah. also probably won't work, and it's not like you're. It's Paint this weird, yeah, and it's this weird uh chicanery that people yeah. want to go in and mess with, and it's like, okay, well. Why don't you just tell a story and see how that gets, how far that gets you? Because I think, you know, when you watch Fox News, like, I don't like it, but they're telling a compelling story. Oh, yeah. They're telling a really compelling story. They've got a boogeyman. They've got a boogeyman. They've got villains. They've got really scary theme music. They've it's got like wrestling. Yeah. And it's, it's and Which
1: of the candidates has been on professional wrestling?
0: There we go. There, there we, we go. go. So yeah, I think, you know, it's, you get a lot farther with people. We are creatures of myth and of narrative, narrative and story. And yeah. that really has to be re-entered back into people's, imagining of like how to win
1: but you attract more flies with honey than vinegar so let's let's figure out how to fight back yeah and come to the spell portion mm. so what is a spell that our listeners can do to help shift us into a more radical uplifting revolutionary future
0: Ooh, a spell that people can do
1: and we always like to think of what's the least that we can do because if we can come up with something small that a lot of people do i think that's more impactful than coming up with something That's a pain in the ass that, like, one really hardcore listener,
0: Jesse, is going to do. Right. Okay. Um, hmm. It would be cool, I think, if we're trying to think of, like, a magical action that a bunch of people could take and that people could do. I think that we have to get more used to the idea of, like, dreaming utopia. And actually beginning to get, like, so something I talk about in the book is, like... um, power mapping as Mm -hmm. a way to sort of like magically think through like political actions that one might undertake and strategizing and the thing that I start with is talking about uh the what's your perfect utopia like dream as big as you can like what does a perfect world look like and I think that we all have to start getting like really good at dreaming utopia again and dreaming like OK, what's the most maximalist demand that I could ever make? Like, what's the what's my big vision of a future that's awesome look like? So maybe like I love this. OK, OK. Maybe on the next full moon, if everybody listening to this mm-hmm. could sit and whatever your practice is, maybe you can do this going to work. Maybe you can do this in front of your altar. Maybe light a candle. Do whatever you would want to do. Take like five, 10 minutes and either just freeform thinking or journal what would your utopia look like? Say it
1: out loud. Say it out loud. like what say do you it out loud to make it happen. Yeah. Say what
0: you want to have happen. like, And, and don't just be like, oh, it'd, it'd be cool if I paid less rent. Rent doesn't exist in your do utopia. Do your
1: Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech. Yes. I have a dream of this and we've got, you know, everyone's yeah. got health care and this and that. Money
0: is gone. We don't have it anymore. Like whatever your utopia is, like say it out loud and really sit and think about how good that would feel. Yeah. I think that that's something that we should all get used to doing.
1: I love that. And then the one thing that I would like to add to that Mm -hmm. is so full moon, sit there, talk it out. I think talk it or write it, like make it, make it manifest and have that idea and then figure out what's a finite utopia that you and your friends can create. How can you bring, even if it's just you and one other person, how can you make that utopia come alive if only for a moment?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think take it and then work backwards from there. Like, start with the utopia and say, okay, what are some ways that I can get there now? Yeah. Like, what are some small things I can do to Envision get me there? Envision
1: the footlong party sub and then take your first bite.
0: There it is. This is what I'm talking about. Boom.
1: Take the power back. For more of Sarah's work, visit sarahlyons.org. That's S-A-R-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S.org, And pick up Revolutionary Witchcraft wherever incendiary, magical political texts are sold. And to join another mass movement seeking to guide us past eco-apocalypses and onto a slightly better utopia, sacrifice $4.20 on the altar of This Podcast is a Ritual at patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual where your contribution will help our podcast propaganda machine keep pumping out the jams, bringing more recruits in to our wizard liberation army so we can take the power back and make tomorrow a brighter day. I'm your wizard, Devin Person, saying, reality is a democracy. Vote for your vision.